This is You Evangelize On Air, the official podcast of the online membership community, youevangelize.org. You evangelize because every mission needs a plan. And now your hosts, Josh Canning and Michael Dopp. Welcome to the You Evangelize podcast. I am Josh Canning. I'm here with my good friend, Michael Dopp, and we are talking about a very important topic. Uh, this is things that get us sidetracked when evangelizing. Michael, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing well, and I'm excited to talk about this topic. Michael, are there a lot of things that sidetrack you when evangelizing? I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a lot of things, but there are some things that it seems easier to get sidetracked with than it is just to stay on top on track. In other words, it's it's almost like the default is to get sidetracked. And so there has to, at least for me, and I think for many others, there has to be an intentional effort to really sort of stay on track with what we're doing. And I guess by, by calling these out, we'll be able to see how they uh, maybe trip us up. Maybe we don't even realize it. Yeah, in fact, it, it's not that we're, you know, intentionally going down rabbit trails. It's just that, you know, kind of the flow of conversation or the activity that we're doing, it sort of leads us in another direction. And if we're not conscious of it, all of a sudden we're, we're doing something other than evangelizing. Well, doesn't that ring loudly, I think, at this particular age uh, in the church? Michael, why don't we just jump right into it? What would be one of the top ways in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing? Yeah, I think I think the top one, Josh, the one that happens most often is we're catechizing rather than evangelizing. What I mean by catechizing rather than evangelizing is I like to make a, a simple distinction between evangelization and catechesis. Now, there's a, a richer understanding of each that I'm going to present, but just to, to kind of put things in very simple categories, I always understood evangelizing as being directed toward initial conversion and catechesis as being directed toward ongoing conversion. Now, there's an evangelical dimension to catechesis and there's a catechetical dimension to evangelization. But if we put them in these kind of simple boxes, which I think they do fit into, the difference between the two is that evangelizing really is to call forth that initial faith. Well, catechesis is working with someone who has faith and helping them to grow in the faith and, you know, teaching them more about the scriptures, about the catechism, about the great tradition of the church. And so the mistake that we can sometimes make is for someone who doesn't have initial Christian faith, who hasn't been converted, who hasn't given their yes to God. If we spend all of our time on catechesis, which is really just teaching them the things about the faith, what happens is we're not actually inviting them to respond to the primary message of the gospel, to the kerygma. So we're giving them lots of information and we're expecting that by giving them lots of information that they will come to have a conversion. And that just rarely is the case. Someone can know the catechism inside and out. They can know the Bible by heart. They can know every papal document that has ever been written. But that doesn't mean they have Christian faith. So evangelization is directed towards calling them to open their heart and their soul to God so that they may receive that gift of faith. Catechesis, while it does deepen our relationship with God, it's more of an intellectual activity. It's coming to know the things of the faith. Now, hopefully those draw us deeper into communion with God, deeper into the faith. But if we start there, we're beginning at a place that the person's not ready for. What they need is to hear the basic gospel first so that they can respond and then be ready to learn. It's kind of like uh, going right from high school into doing a PhD. You're just not ready for it. You have to do, you know, your your psychology 101, your biology 101. You have to kind of get the basics so that you're ready for, you know, the real meat of the faith. And I think this this is very common because in evangelization, people often want to know a bit more about the faith and rightly so. And we need to be able to speak about that. But at the same time, it's important to keep it focused on this invitation to friendship, this invitation to conversion, this invitation to respond to God's call in their life. 
Isn't it uh, interesting? I mean, I, I can see how at times this distinction has been lost on me. And I think part of it is that early in my uh, post-conversion days, you know, you have a sense that there's this amazing reality, this whole content of our faith. Just uh, there's so much richness and, and there's so much there that if you were to think of passing it on, it seems like evangelization is such a small part of it, you know? So it's almost like, let's get that over with so we can get to everything else. There's so much we have to give, you know? And But it sounds like that's a grave mistake that we can make, you know? Like if you, like you say, if we're trying to put the big sort of, you know, meaty course before people have maybe had, had an appetizer, maybe they're just totally not prepared for it. I mean, that might not be the best analogy, but people, you know, for it to make sense, there has to be that starting point, right? And that's the irony in it, Josh, is that if we don't start with evangelization, even the catechesis that we do become somewhat ineffective because they're not ready for it, because they don't have faith, they can't see everything through the eyes of faith. And and what it leaves people with is a false understanding of Christianity, almost a Gnostic one, which means that the Christianity is about certain knowledge, that if I just, if I can memorize all of this, if I can just know more about the sacraments and know more about this, then I'm a good Christian. Knowledge is only there for the sake of allowing us to come to love God more. So if we're just teaching people, then even the teaching that we're doing won't have its proper effect within them. I think catechesis worked much better when we lived in a Christian culture where there was just kind of this ethos of faith within people and the catechesis formed and shaped and deepened that faith. But in the secular, post-Christian, post-modern culture we live in today, that fundamental basis of faith isn't present. And therefore, we have to first prioritize the proclamation of the gospel and the kerygma. You know, I think this distinction is so important um, because I think that if we don't really just make that clear in our minds, the difference between that kind of first proclamation and that sharing the, the core gospel message and then everything that kind of builds on that then we're going to view our evangelization initiatives with a bit of suspicion. And I've seen that where, you know, people will look at this and they'll think, oh, that's just evangelization. But when are we going to also include X, Y, and Z? You know, like, aren't these other things essential? And they are essential in a sense, right? But as kind of the next part, you know what I mean? Like we can't, as a first proclamation, really proclaim the mother of God. Right? That's just not an initial proclamation, right? Well, it's, yeah, I, I think you're right, Josh. It's not a question of what's most important. It's really a question of, of proper ordering of things. Right. Um, that, you know, teaching someone about the Eucharist or about, you know, the great tradition of the fathers of the church, these are vital, but they don't come first. So by putting them in second place, they're not in second in, or, in order of importance or truth. They're, they're second kind of temporally in terms of the order of presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something that I need to to remind people when we're bringing them into evangelization initiatives. It's not that we're downplaying the importance of these other things. We're just trying to really um, make things understandable to the people that we're proclaiming to. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. So uh, one of the ways in which we really get sidetracked when evangelizing is catechizing rather than evangelizing. What's another way? The second way, it's connected to the first, and it's that we hop from one question to the next. So if we're having a conversation with people and they say, yeah, but what about this? And you know, so you begin to kind of discuss that and they say, yeah, but I, I really struggle with this dimension. And then you hop over there and then it's, but I've always wondered about this. Now, again, if we do that, there's two things I think we can see. The first is we may be in the area of catechesis. In that case, it's important to bring things back to the basic gospel message. But I think we also have to say to a person, you know, those are really great questions and we'll get to those. But Rather than, you know, if, if this really is a major obstacle, if this is a really important thing for you, let's dig into it. But let's just focus on one thing, because 
Often these questions deserve adequate time to discuss, you know, good resources that we can pass on to the person, books maybe, depending on how in-depth the question is. In other words, rather than giving the Eucharist or the role of Our Lady in the Faith a three-minute treatment, let's say, you know what, let's just set aside one of those and instead let's spend some time on the one that for you right now is the hang-up or the pressing question, whatever it is, and not allow us to kind of get scattered. Because what happens there is you never really get to address anything in anywhere near the detail that it deserves. And so the answers that are provided, the discussions that are had, they end up being somewhat superficial. And again, much like when we focus on catechesis, it also doesn't really have its its full effect. Yeah, isn't isn't uh, isn't that interesting that there is the reality that when we're talking with people, there may be boulders that are blocking the path to them actually really hearing and, and, and having a chance to respond to the first proclamation. And sometimes we have to deal with those things. You know, sometimes there will be a major barrier that people have that is just in their mind first and foremost and comes before they'll listen to anything else. But at the same time, we have to have a sense of where we're going beyond that boulder, right? Exactly. And and I think those boulders have to be addressed. So when I, you know, emphasize in, in the first point that we have to evangelize and not catechize, I don't mean that we never catechize. And I don't mean that we don't answer people's questions. Uh, if somebody has a significant and important question, it needs to get addressed. I have a good friend who at one point was going through kind of a Bible study, you know, with a group of great Catholics. She was, you know, kind of new in her faith and, and had some really great questions. But they were so focused on evangelizing, there was no room for catechizing at all, that those there was obstacles that she had that had to be addressed, and there wasn't a place for her to do that. I think generally the error we make is we go too far on the side of hopping from one question to the other, too far on the side of catechizing rather than evangelizing, but there certainly is a time when we need to kind of hit the pause button and really dig into a particular question with someone. And I guess maybe a key um, point in that would be that evangelization consists a lot of listening, doesn't it? It sure does. You know, a lot of it is hearing the questions that the person is asking, trying to discern what God is doing in their life, to know their history and their story, and to really show a genuine love and appreciation for the person. And that takes us closing our mouth and opening our heart to hear them. <laughs> Which can be a hard, uh, sometimes it's easier to do the reverse, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're talking about uh, ways in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing. And we've got, well, there, there's seven primary ways we're focusing on today. And we've talked about catechizing rather than evangelizing. And we've talked about hopping from one question to the next. What would be the third way in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing? This is actually a subset of the second one, the hopping around, but it, I really wanted to emphasize it. And it's that we focus on moral questions. You know, there's a variety of reasons why this is the case today. But oftentimes when we're having discussions with people, spiritual conversations, especially about the Catholic faith, moral questions come up. And there can be a lot of passion in them. There can be a lot of challenge in them, a lot of uncertainty in them. And as I just said, if it's really an important question for the person, then it has to be addressed. We can't say this doesn't matter. Just forget about it. But, you know, the moral questions are not the heart of the Catholic faith. The heart of the Catholic faith is the creed. The heart of the Catholic faith is a person. It's Jesus Christ and it's God himself, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The moral life is how we live out our faith in the world and how we respond to the natural law, how we seek to love God and our neighbor. The Christianity is not a moral code. And so if we spend too much time just on moral questions, I think we can miss something. We miss the fact that it's not just about doing what's right. It's about coming to believe and love in God. 
Yeah, and this echoes things that uh, that Pope Francis says in Evangelii Gaudium. It also just brings to mind Pope Benedict's first encyclical, where he says that Christianity is not so much the result of a lofty idea or an ethical choice or lofty idea, but an encounter with a person which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. And with evangelization, we really are trying to introduce people to a person, are we not? Absolutely. And, and when we've been introduced to that person, then the moral life makes sense. But before that happens, trying to understand the moral life in a vacuum can be difficult. In, in our modern age, the following of the natural law presupposes the capacity for us to use our reason well to understand it. We're just not well trained in doing that. And so the moral questions often become somewhat abstract. They often seem disconnected from our own experiences. They're not, but they are because of the culture we've lived in, especially if we've been away from Christ and his church. And so to start with them, often it just doesn't bear a lot of fruit. Again, there are times we have to dig in. There has to be some apologetics, some catechesis, some explanation. But people aren't going to have a conversion because we have an airtight argument for a certain moral teaching of the church. Mm -hmm. We're talking about ways in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing, and the first three really hit on um, the, the proper ordering of things, having us kind of a sense of a hierarchy of importance in what we communicate. So we've spoken about catechizing rather than evangelizing, about hopping from one question to the next, about focusing on moral questions. What's another way, uh, Michael, in which we uh, get sidetracked when evangelizing? I think we stay in the periphery. Now, it's interesting because Pope Francis often says we have to go out to the peripheries, but we're using that word in a different sense. I mean stay in the periphery in the sense that we don't get to the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel, which can be you know, very briefly summarized as God's immense love for us, his call for us to enter into communion with him, a sin that has wounded that, but God's continual invitation to turn back to him with his grace, that his life, death, and resurrection has made it possible for us to be reunited with him to spend eternity with him in heaven as we enter into the divine family. That's the very core. That's the kerygma. And for one reason or another, it's sometimes difficult for us to get right to the core. Either we don't know it, or we don't know how to express it, or we're afraid almost of going too deep. But when we stay on the periphery, we don't allow the person to hear and receive the full richness of the basic gospel message. I find it's just easy sometimes to stay up in the headspace, you know, like in the, in the intellectual questions, you know, or I just find it's easier to speak about things that don't go so deep to the heart, you know, and in some ways it's uncomfortable to go to those really kind of heart space questions and to go to the things that might be impeding us in the level of the heart. But we have to be willing to go there, don't we? We do. And I think as missionaries, it takes courage for us to do that because we don't want to make the person feel uncomfortable. We don't want to go somewhere that we haven't been invited. At the same time, we do the person a disservice if we don't enter deeply into their life, if we don't allow God to use us in some way to bring the fullness of the call to Christian conversion to them. You know, you're right. When we stay just with the intellectual, it's safe. It's safe for us and it's safe for them because there's no personal commitment. But Christianity is all about personal commitment. It's all about the gift of our entire selves, our entire being to God. Now, we have to be discerning. We have to do this at the right time and the right way. And when we feel like the person is at a place where they can receive this, we're, you know, we're obviously not trying to do it simply for the sake of doing it. We want to do it in a way that's going to be effective and the person can receive. But oftentimes, you know, when that door begins to open, there can be a lack of courage. And so we don't walk through it. Wow. So, so one of the ways we got to keep in mind about getting sidetracked when evangelizing is staying on the periphery, staying on the periphery of the message, also staying on the periphery of the person in the sense of going just to the head, head questions and not being willing to go to the heart of the person. What, uh, Michael, would be the fifth way 
in which we sometimes get sidetracked when evangelizing. I think we miss the punchline. In other words, there's no call to action. We can share the gospel. We can tell people about Christ. We can share our testimony. We can, um, you know, invite them to a great event. We can make friendship with Christ seem attractive. But then we forget to say, this is for you. But it doesn't just happen. It's not like if you read the catechism, you are now converted. Or it's not like if you read the Gospel of John, you are, you know, by in virtue of fact of having read it, you are now converted. It's this decision that we make, that when we encounter Christ, we need to respond to Christ, that he is giving us the opportunity to respond with our will, to choose him. Now, as, as Catholics, of course, that's manifest or that, that's seen primarily through baptism. However, many of us have been baptized as children, and so it can manifest itself as just an interior yes that we give. It can be a returning to the sacrament of reconciliation, or even for those that are practicing the faith, it can be a renewed commitment to wanting to live fully this friendship with Christ. But it's an interior choice. And sometimes it's not made explicit that this choice is even necessary. And so the person being evangelized can be left with the impression that it's more of an intellectual assent or it's an intellectual uh, reception of knowledge. That is part of it. But that only sets the ground. It only prepares the person for saying yes. You know, it would be like somebody who has studied Christianity, they've read all of our texts, they know our history, they know our story, they know it all. But at some point, they have to come face to face with this question. Will you give your heart to God or not? Do you want him to be the Lord of your life or not? And knowing that that is the question they have to answer changes everything. Because then they say, okay, what does this mean for me? Do I, yes or no, want to respond? And so that's what I mean by the call to action, by saying to someone that we're speaking with or having a conversation or growing in our relationship with, that they know at the end of the day that as much as it's important that they've learned about Christianity, now the ball is in their court. They need to respond. And so we need to be explicit about that. We need to make it very clear to them that they need to look deep within their own heart and decide to choose with God's grace to say yes to him. Michael, are you advocating for Catholic altar calls? Well, it is a type of altar call. I don't know if it has to happen during Mass or not, but it's a very similar reality. Now, of course, as Catholics, we have the tremendous uh, gift of the sacraments, and I, I don't want to undermine in any way the value of confession or baptism. But we also have to remember the sacraments aren't just magic. There's always a component of faith. Now, in baptism, for children, of course, the faith is the faith of the Church, but we're called to ratify that faith. We go to confession with true contrition and with faith. And so there is a response in the heart that often happens prior to the reception of these sacraments. It doesn't mean we don't need the sacraments. It draws us towards these sacraments. But this, this idea of something like an altar call, where it's very basic form, an altar call is a response in the heart to the invitation, then absolutely we need that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I know there's some uh, different types of Christian communities that are almost drenched in that opportunity to make that choice here and now to uh, make Jesus the Lord of your life and to follow him faithfully. And in some ways, it is almost like a foreign concept in a, in a communal context in, in a Catholic community. But I have seen really interesting ways in which it's done just to share a brief story. I was at a conference for catechists, uh, interestingly enough. And one of the speakers there was a great uh, guy, probably known to many of our audience, Andre, Andre Renier of CCO, founder of Catholic Christian Outreach, a university uh, evangelization movement. And uh, within the context of his talk to catechists, he made space for them 
to basically make Jesus the Lord of their life. And it was kind of an interesting and radical thing to a bunch of people who are already passing on the faith to other people to give them and to, and to invite them to the opportunity to stand up individually and uh, pray for the Lord to come into their life. Amazingly enough, some people did, you know, and it's kind of funny, you might think that's the last place you want to, that evangelization in that sense would be needed. But um, but he created that space with a call to action and, and people people took it. Isn't that radical? Josh, I am constantly surprised by people that I meet who you would think have really made Christ the heart and center of their life, who have lived a good Catholic life for years, for decades, but have never actually engaged their will, have never really given their full yes to God, have never responded to that encounter that you referred to from the writing of Pope Benedict. So I think we have to be very careful about assuming conversion, assuming deep faith, mature faith, just because somebody happens to go to Mass or is a catechist or something else. Often it is there, often it is, but a surprising number of times it isn't. And that's why this this call to action, this response is so vital today. So something that's really struck me in our conversation is that the call to action isn't just for those who are not formally Christian yet, but even for our own people. We have to be making space for them to respond uh, to the invitation of the Lord to be um, to give their life to Him and to make Him the Lord of their life. You know, the statistics that I've seen from different people that have studied this have suggested, in fact, that even the majority of practicing Catholics really are pre-conversion. There's some faith, there's something good going on, but if we dig in a little bit more to where they, they are in their faith, they've never actually really made a mature adult decision. They've never really given their full yes. That doesn't mean that we're all expected to be saints today, but that there's been kind of that primary conversion that, that properly moves us into a time of discipleship, that the majority even of practicing Catholics are not yet there. So pay attention, you evangelizers. That's an important thing, I think, to keep um, at the forefront of our activity, of our efforts, is that uh, we need to make sure that we make that space for our own people and never to assume where people are at. That's a great, uh, that's a great uh, point, uh, Michael. That's another way in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing is having no call to action. What is the sixth way? The sixth one is a bit different than what we've been talking about, but it's, it has to do with people being scandalized by the state of the church or the parish. Uh, and what I mean by this is that among some people, like there's no credibility to the Catholic Church or to the Catholic parish because of previous experiences that they've had or events that they've read about in the newspaper or stories that they've heard. And these really present a great obstacle to people. And the way that we get sidetracked as an evangelist, it's not exactly being sidetracked, but it's almost being usurped or or not recognizing an obstacle that is there. So in other words, you know, we're having these kind of conversations with people, but we might find like we're kind of hitting a brick wall. Why are we not moving forward? What is it that's blocking? And I think this is often that block. Maybe not, I shouldn't say often, but sometimes it is. And so where there has been a person that has been scandalized, they can get so hung up on that because it's been, you know, an awful thing that's happened to them or somebody that they know or that they've heard about. We have to address that. But the way we can get sidetracked here is that we keep the focus on the scandal, on the issue, and not trying to bring it back to the heart of the message. So just to, you know, to make this very concrete, somebody has read a newspaper article about some scandal that happened in a neighboring parish 25 years ago, and that's really closed the door to them listening to 
you know, what we're saying and, and our sharing. And, and it really stunts the conversation we're having with them. We have to, of course, acknowledge the evil that happened. We have to acknowledge the, the sin where there was sin. And we have to in no way minimize it. We have to recognize the depth of pain that it's caused many people. But we can also remind them that the truths of Christianity are independent of what happened at some parish 25 years ago. Christianity rests on the claims of the resurrection of Jesus. They rest on the eternal life of the Trinity. They rest on the truths found in the Apostles' Creed. And so while scandal can kind of shake the initial foundations of some people, it's not good for us to to stay there. We need instead to, to bring a larger perspective, which reminds them that the church is full of sinners. There's been sinners throughout the history of the church. There are sinners today, and there will be sinners tomorrow. But none of this changes the historical reality and the ultimate truth of Christianity. And so I mentioned this one just because, you know, of the difficult situation we found ourselves in the last 10 or 15 years within the church. But also, you know, this is the real obstacle that if we're not aware of it, it does get us sidetracked rather quickly. But at the same time, I think that uh, the power of the gospel, the truths of the faith can overcome these if we recognize what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, again, I think of uh, of Andre Rennie and his talk about how to to really understand the good news, you have to also understand the bad news, right? And uh, the bad news is the reality of um, you know our fallen nature, the fact that we have have chosen to turn away from God, you know, and at the times listen to the temptation of the evil one. And I guess when we think about these kinds of things and see these these terrible um, examples of human frailty, especially in our in our leaders. Yeah, it can be a hard thing to get past, but when we understand the bad news, then you know what you're speaking about—the reality of God and His goodness and His His unfailing goodness. But we have to make sure, I guess, that we don't allow the bad news to ever overtake the good news and be scandalized by the church in a way that takes us away or prevents us from sharing the good news with others. That's right, and I think it it also then, as evangelists, it takes a discerning ear to see if that's what's going on with the person that we're that we're engaged with. Absolutely. So don't be uh, too scandalized by the church, the state of the church or the parish to delay yourself in evangelizing. Michael, what's the last way we get sidetracked when evangelizing? Mm-hmm. The, the seventh one is, is spiritual warfare. The, I think the evil one just distracts us. Uh, you know, we're kind of having ongoing conversations with a person or we're, you know, going to some, bringing them to some sort of evangelical event or a Bible study or an alpha or something like that. And the evil one can just throw up obstacles. He can make our life too busy. He can, uh, discouragement's one of his favorite tactics. He can, you know, make us believe that this isn't going to work. Or, you know, maybe he brings up interpersonal conflict between us and the person about, you know, something silly, whether it's, you know, our favorite baseball team or, you know, go Blue Jays. Go Blue, go Blue Jays. That's right. So we, we just have to really be aware that the evil one doesn't like it when we evangelize. And he's going he loves to get us sidetracked. He likes to get us doing something that is of less importance and of less value. And particularly if God's really at work in the heart of the other person. So we just have to have our spiritual antenna up. We need to pray the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel. And we need to recognize the evil works of the devil for what they are and not allow them to stop us from doing the good work that God's calling us to do. Mm-hmm. I've begun to see discouragement in my own life uh, as a indicator that um, <laughs> doing God's God's plan, you know, I find that, uh, yeah, just especially when we're doing something at the church, we're doing an evangelization initiative, there's always a bunch of things that, that uh, seem to just sort of pop up, and the way in which they affect you seems to be more intense than at other times. You know, there's this beautiful prayer 
uh, in the Pauline uh, uh, prayer book, which uh, asks Our Lady to crush the head of the demon called discouragement. And that's really resonated with me when when I'm entering into those times. But yeah, I, I just know from speaking with other people, other leaders uh, who are involved in evangelization, that uh, it is almost to be expected. And I think it always seems to surprise you when it comes, when the spiritual warfare kind of happens. But yeah, we should definitely not get sidetracked uh, from our evangelization when this happens, because this is par for the course. You know, Josh, we can have this naive idea that if we're doing God's will, it's all going to be easy and all the pieces are going to fall into place. It's not quite that way. It's not the opposite. It's not like if we do God's will, our life is going to fall apart. Not at all. God's grace will be with us and he'll carry us. But I think it's recognizing that there's a spiritual battle going on and the evil one is not going to take it sitting down. And so just because we're doing God's will and we're living in his grace and we're trying to respond to his call doesn't mean everything is going to go swimmingly. And like you say, that's where we need to rely upon the Lord all the more, rely upon uh, the intercession of Our Lady, you know, ask for the great protection and defense of St. Michael, the Archangel and our Guardian Angel, and just draw near to the Lord in that. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to see things with those spiritual eyes, you know, and realize that there are still battles going on, not with flesh and blood, but with angels and principalities, correct? Amen. Amen. Well, this has been uh, great, Michael. We've been speaking about ways in which we get sidetracked when evangelizing. For anyone keeping track, we listed seven. We talked about catechizing rather than evangelizing, hopping from one question to the next, focusing on the moral questions, staying on the periphery, not having a call to action or an opportunity to respond, being scandalized by the state of the church or parish, and spiritual warfare. These are things we want to be aware of uh, when we are engaged in our evangelization efforts and uh, be able to call out uh, when we see them operating uh, in our lives. Michael, it's been really great to chat about this. I'm sure we'll be speaking on these topics in other ways through You Evangelize, through courses, through podcasts, through blogs, through webinars. And uh, to our community, we just look forward to engaging with you going forward. Thank you for being with us this past 40 minutes, and God bless you in all your evangelization efforts. We will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to You Evangelize On Air. For more resources on how you can become the evangelist that God has made you to be, visit us at youevangelize.org and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Until next time, God bless.